In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven looks like ten virgins with lamps waiting for the bridegroom. They are waiting for his arrival because when he comes, he will bring them into the heavenly banquets. And if any are away when he arrives, they won't be permitted entry. The door will be shut and some will be left in outer darkness. The ten virgins gather to wait for Jesus. They all look forward to, for his return. This means that they have received some kind of instruction in the faith. Perhaps they have even taken the vow of confirmation. Those who wait for Jesus are all virgins. They have all been made righteous by faith in the blood of Jesus. This is a picture of the church on earth. It's a parable for you and about you. Now, by appearances, all ten of these virgins look the same. They go to church, they sing the hymns, they make the right confession. But not everyone who has the outward marks of Christianity is a Christian. Not everyone who comes from a Christian family goes to church and lives a decent life. Not all of them make it to heaven. There's a difference that you can't easily see between these virgins. Now, usually we think the distinction is whether someone is good or bad. But here the division is different. It's wise and foolish. Now, this difference only becomes clear at the end. But early on, Jesus gives us a hint. The foolish don't bring extra oil. The wise do. So that even when the wise fall asleep, they still have their lamps full of oil, while the foolish run out. Five are foolish, five are wise. Now, maybe these foolish virgins, one, they just saw instruction in the Christian faith as something that they should just get through, and they want to move on to something else. We know that sometimes people in the church give up on what the church teaches, and often those who give up on the faith will leave the church, but sometimes they stay. They stay and give their offering each week and sing the hymns and serve in the church and pray the prayers and do all the outward signs of being a Christian. So within the visible church on earth, some are wise and some are foolish. Some are Christians and some are hypocrites. In the church on earth, they are mixed together. But this is not to say, though, that you should investigate your neighbors and try to discern who the foolish virgins might be. Rather, this text is an invitation to examine your own heart and life. Have you been living among the foolish? Today's text is your invitation to be found among the wise, 
And that means you must receive the Lord's wisdom. In the scriptures, wisdom isn't just sage advice or common sense. In the Bible, wisdom always means wisdom about God. That is, that you fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That wisdom is about faith. Wisdom means that you know God's character. You know him to be gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A fool is someone who rejects this wisdom. Fools reject God's word. They reject faith. Now, usually in the scriptures, when you come across this word wisdom or wise, it's the term sophos. But here, it's a different term. It's phronomos, which you're probably all wondering, what does that mean? Well, it has a little bit of a different flavor, and it's, it's the kind of wisdom that, that looks to the future. And it's a wisdom that knows the limits of its own wisdom and prepares accordingly. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out for these virgins. Now, all these virgins look forward to the coming of Jesus. But the wise are aware of something that the foolish haven't considered. They are aware that there could be a delay. And according to their godly wisdom, they know how to prepare for this delay. They bring extra oil. So these ten virgins which are the church, wait for Jesus. But the bridegroom delays. We don't know why, but he doesn't come as soon as the congregation expects. So they wait. They don't know for how long. And while they wait, they have one job. Watch for the bridegroom. Watching means being alert. Watching means not drowsing off. Watching means being awake. But all the virgins become drowsy. Their eyelids get heavy. They yawn. They sit down in their fatigue. And one by one, they drift off to sleep. All the virgins fail in their duty None of them watches as she should. None of them behaves as though Jesus could return at any moment. No one is beyond the pull of temptation. No one remains perfectly pure. In this parable, sleeping means they are not watching for Jesus. Sleeping means sin here. So this whole group of virgins, in this sense, fall into sin. They should have stayed awake. They ignored the warning that sleep was about to overtake them. Because before they fall asleep, they all become drowsy. Now that drowsiness should have been a signal to them that it was time to stand up, time to go for a walk. The feeling of temptation's beginning should wake you up. You should become alert because you suddenly realize the danger that you are in. 
but they don't pay attention. They ignore the signs of their own fatigue. They all let sleep overtake them. They all give in to sin. They all fail in their duty. And we see here also that there is a kind of foolishness in the behavior of the wise. They take a great risk in falling asleep. For if they are asleep when the bridegroom comes, he will pass them by, and they will be condemned for this foolishness. That's why the next thing that happens in the text is entirely by God's grace. Before the bridegroom comes, there is preaching. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Wake up, calls the preacher. Wake up and stay that way. Get ready now because your time is up. Get ready and stay that way so that when it's time to get ready, you are already prepared. Now, Maybe this doesn't sound exactly like God's grace, because when the midnight cry of Jesus' return comes in the parable, time's up. It's too late to prepare. But you, you get to hear the account of this midnight cry. The preaching about the midnight cry comes to you before the cry happens. That's God's grace, that's his mercy for you. He wants you to hear while there is still time. And so these ten all rise and trim their lamps. Wise and foolish alike, they awaken. And when they have been aroused, none of them goes back to sleep. They all recognize that they should have stayed awake. They all desire to put away their sin. And we said that ever since the beginning, there was a difference between the virgins. In the beginning, the foolish thought that they were wise. But only now do they see their own foolishness. And the Lord wants you to learn from what happens to these five foolish virgins. Notice the two ways the virgins respond. The wise simply add more oil from their flasks, and they are ready for the bridegroom. The wise, we might say, repent. They sorrow over their sin, and they trust in Jesus to forgive that sin. But the foolish only now realize their own foolishness. Now they realize they don't have enough oil Their lamps are going out. They have only the outward signs of Christianity. And without the light of faith, the bridegroom won't recognize them. But they still misunderstand the nature of faith. They think that faith can just be handed over to them immediately or they can borrow just enough to get by. They expect the wise to share their faith with them. But the wise refuse, not because they are unwilling to share, but because faith is something that can't be shared. 
The wise repent and look to Jesus. The fools try to get ready on their own. And so this self-preparation means panic. It's an emergency. And so they demand that the wise teach them the scriptures, teach them to believe and confess all the Bible says about the creed and the Lord's Prayer. Teach me right now the right things to say and do. Teach me how to love the truth, how to be chaste and content. Teach me how to believe God's word. But the wise cannot help those fools. So the foolish ones run off to the dealers, to the preachers of faith. But no one is open at that hour. The time has passed. You can't just sort of wake up at the end and get faith in Jesus at the last minute. Now we know these foolish virgins are seeking and acting this way because they don't believe in Jesus. And so when they go out, they go, in a sense, seeking for whatever it is that unbelievers use to replace faith in Jesus. Whatever that stuff might be, it's sold in places that are open long after midnight, and it's readily accessible. And yet, what they really needed was never, ever sold. It's given away for free. They could never fill their lamps by their own reason and strength and cleverness. They had disregarded what would fill their lamps full of faith. And what fills your lamps is given to you for free. And here it is. This bridegroom already came once. He came taking on your flesh, bearing all your sin, dying for it on the cross. You aren't children of the night. You are children of the day. You have the Lord's eternal wisdom that Jesus loves you. This free gift is handed over to you here and now when there is still time. Your salvation is a gift to you, and yet you can also choose to give it away. Judgment comes. Jesus returns. The guests enter. The door is shut, and it will not be reopened. So when the foolish ones return and demand entrance, the bridegroom cannot let them in. They don't know him, and he doesn't know them. All they hear from inside is the eternal excommunication from the wedding feast. Depart from me, I never knew you. Now, from this text and the warning that Jesus gives at its conclusion, there are two major points for you to consider. First, to check if you are sleeping. And I don't mean if you've fallen asleep during the sermon, although if you have, you should probably wake up. But second, that we consider what we should do once we have been awakened and how it is that we are prepared for our Lord's coming. It means, first of all, that you must heed our Lord's call to wake up. 
Now, I think most of us know the feeling of waking up when we should never have been sleeping in the first place. That physical feeling you have when you suddenly realize that you should be awake. That's the spiritual discipline that this text is calling you to. But sometimes, too, you start to wake up and you half engage with the world around you, maybe have something of a conversation, and then you roll over and close your eyes for just a few more minutes, only to awaken again an hour later. This is what our text is warning against. Sometimes, physically, you deliberately want to go to sleep. And other times, sleep overtakes you. The same thing can and does happen spiritually. But spiritual sleep is sin. Sometimes you slide into sin unaware. Other times you know exactly what you are doing. Sometimes you just don't notice when someone needs your help. Or you just get wrapped up in your work and you forget to pray. Or maybe you think that God wouldn't care that much if you slack off a little at work. Or if you take a few minutes to mock someone foolish online. You knew that God was watching, but you pretended he wasn't. You knew what was right, but you deliberately pushed it to the back of your mind. You have the command in today's text to watch, but you haven't. You have given in to spiritual sleep, and in effect, you have turned your salvation into a game. You are here, gathered in the Lord's church on this day, the place where the coming of Jesus is preached. But sometimes you lose heart, and you give in to theological sleepiness. Do you hear your Lord's cry? Wake, awake, repent, be aware, stay awake. Remember that the Lord wants you to be a member with these five wise virgins. He wants you to share in their wisdom. Their wisdom teaches that persisting in sin can destroy faith. So this means that you must know your own weaknesses. It means that you are to care, you, you are to take care to not work to destroy your own faith. You know the times and the places when you are most susceptible to temptation. You know when you are most vulnerable to attack. You know what makes you angry, what causes you to lust, what makes you waste time. And so you see, this is what the wise virgins do. They are aware of these things. They don't know when the bridegroom will come, and they know that they know their own weakness. They know they might run out of oil, so they bring extra. They know that temptations will come, so they prepare in advance. If they knew, for example, that being on social media would draw them into the sin of despair, then they might take steps to limit or prevent their access. 
or if they know that a constant connection to the news makes them worry about things over which they have no control, and it causes them to ignore the needs of those in front of them, or it just makes them angry, then they turn it off. If they know that they're going to be easily distracted at church, then they'll sit towards the front where it's easier to pay attention. If they know that being alone tempts them to lost and to imagine unwholesome things, then they practice learning virtuous things like scripture and hymns and avoid being alone. If they know they are tempted to gluttony, then they practice the discipline of fasting. But above all, it means that regarding all of these things, that they are in God's house, that they hear his word and receive his gifts, that they take hold of the promise of forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. True wisdom means knowing your own weaknesses because you are looking forward to Jesus' return. You want to be ready now so that when he comes back, you aren't lacking in oil. And so that means hearing God's word now and believing his promises now and receiving his gifts now. But what, what if he doesn't come back now? I mean, his return could be today or tomorrow or in a month, but what if he doesn't come back for five years or 80 or 3,000? What then? How can you prepare for that? So what if you had learned that Jesus was going to come back tomorrow morning? Would it change what you do today? Now, I don't know exactly what I would do. I might have to think about it a little more. But I know there are some things I wouldn't have to worry about. We wouldn't have to go shopping for Thanksgiving dinner. And we wouldn't have to get ready for our guests coming tomorrow evening. Maybe you would slow down and just spend time with your family. Or maybe you would realize that your loved ones who don't know Jesus only have a few hours left, and you would spend every possible moment telling them about Jesus and praying for their salvation. Maybe you would be more eager to be in church, or maybe you would get up early tomorrow morning and watch the sky, hoping to be among the first to see Jesus coming on the clouds. Now, maybe you've seen news reports about people who think they know when the world is going to end. What do they do? Well, they, they quit jobs. They stop farming. They stop getting married and having children. They stop building churches and writing hymns because they know that such things must not matter if Jesus' coming is so soon. But you know that such behavior is foolishness. No one knows the day or the hour. This is the second part of wisdom. For the women in our text, it, that means not oil, only oil in their lamps, but in their flasks as well. And for you, it means that you consider the future. You get married and have children. You build homes and plant churches. 
You think about the generations that will come after you. You love those who will call this church home in 40 or 50 years. Now, this temptation to think that everything now is fine and so I don't have to worry about the future. Well, King Hezekiah in the Old Testament had this temptation too. Isaiah came to Hezekiah and said, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. You see, Hezekiah was satisfied that his kingdom would fall into ruin so long as it didn't happen while he was still alive. And so the text is warning us against this kind of thinking also. Our Lord is saying you shouldn't be satisfied to hear God's word and receive his gifts in this place today and be content if your church doesn't last beyond your own life. You shouldn't, and that that we shouldn't just be interested in surviving as a congregation. You see, wisdom doesn't just mean being prepared for Jesus to come back right away. Wisdom means also being ready for the delay. It means that you are ready to wait. Wisdom means knowing that you yourself must be ready for Jesus to return but it also means you teach your children and provide for your church so that they also are ready. It means you think about how you will spiritually provide for your grandchildren and even their grandchildren. It means you work and build and sing and pray so that if Jesus comes back in 50 years or a thousand years or next year, the world will be ready for his return. So if you examine your life and you find that you have been sleeping, this is your liturgical alarm clock. You aren't promised 2023 or even Christmas. You aren't promised next week or tomorrow or this afternoon. But do not fear, dearly beloved. Your Lord has already done everything to keep you awake. That's the work he was doing when he came that first time. When he took on your flesh so that he could bear all your sin, all your spiritual sleeping and apathy to the cross. Consider also what Jesus says about the sin of the wise in our text. Notice that for them there is no condemnation. Jesus forgives them and receives them into his heavenly banquets. He washes away their sin as though they had never slept, never failed to watch for his coming, never sinned. Nor does Jesus look at the amount of oil they have left. It's not the absence, it's not the smallness of one's faith that condemns 
only its absence. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. For even weak and little faith, if it is faith in Jesus, that faith saves. So daily return to your baptism in repentance. Come and partake of the Holy Communion, for it is the coming wedding feast. Those virgins aren't just guests at the feast. They are members of his bride. And the bride of Christ, the church, the bride rejoices to be with her husband. And so this joy of the Lord's coming is what keeps you awake. If you have seen the joy of children waiting for Christmas Day, it's that kind of joy. The only difference is you don't know exactly when Christmas will come. And not just the joy of knowing that Jesus is going to come back someday, but the joy that he comes to you here and now, week after week. This is the place and time of his coming. The wedding feast is already here. And even if you find yourself tempted to go back to sleep, we pray that our Lord Jesus would send those who will rouse you from slumber. So come and prepare yourself for the night of his coming as he prepares you this morning by his coming. The kingdom of heaven looks like ten virgins filling their lamps with oil, joyfully waiting for their Lord's coming. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.